the basis of my experiment is my hypothesis that where co-working happens is not that important. This is Innovative Speak, a show about how innovators around the world are leading us into the workplace of the future. I'm Sarah Schlafly. Our guest today is Janine Van Der Linden. Janine is one of the world's most seasoned co-working space operators. Janine now manages a collection of co-working spaces, coworking.org, as well as the European Co-working Assembly. Welcome to the show, Janine. Glad to be here. Let's first start with your very beginning into the co-working scene. Tell me how you got to be a part of it and tell me a little bit about your very first space. Okay. I'm basically an, an accidental entrepreneur in this sense. I had immigrated to the Netherlands um, because I married a Dutch guy. And we had been here for a couple, five years. So my Dutch was uh, good, but not anything that you would call proficient. Uh, but we have attached to, we. Ha I live in a 400-year-old house. And uh, a part of this house is was formerly a stable. And uh, that space had been renovated by a former owner into uh, an office space, two office spaces uh, to be exact, and one of the tenants went away. And so we had an empty space, and I thought, you know, I can just rent it because it had been rented by the former owner, by us, for, I don't know, 20 years or something. And I thought it would be really interesting, the co-working co of the type uh, that I was familiar with in the United States uh, was not really available in the Netherlands, and I was somewhat curious whether it would work in a town of, this is a town of 50,000 people. It's not, you know, it's not the Dutch version of New York by any means. And so I was interested in that, and we had an empty space, and I owned it, and so me and my landlord was extremely reasonable, and so, because it was me, and so I thought, let's, you know, I had a year left to play with it, and so I decided uh, to go ahead and open a co-working space, and that was how the first space was opened. Wow. There are two office spaces in that uh, area. One of them is very small. It's basically two rooms. And after about a year, we really needed to move. And so we moved from the small space into the large space. At that point, I was just running sort of a mom and pop co-working space and trying things out. We had several co-workers who had a need for storage, shipping, logistics. And one of my co-workers was in a business where he uh, went to various places in the world, purchased large um, machines, shipped them back to the Netherlands, and then sold them. I had the hallway full of pallets. It was bananas. Mm -hmm. And so after uh, a month or so of that, uh, I had a little talk with him. And we looked around and found uh, a, a warehouse space. So the second space is almost purely a warehouse space. There are some network effects to having more than one location that I thought were really interesting. The idea is everybody who is a member in any of the locations can use all the locations on the same foot as the people in those locations, um, and yet everyone has a home base. And that balance of where's your home, right, and, and where can you go to visit, uh, was very interesting to me. It started to grow, and I started to think, I wonder what it's like to run a co-working space as an an intentional network. Uh, it didn't start intentionally, but what if I were to intentionally choose to think of it as not a co-working space, but a network of spaces? That's amazing. Um, 
So the network is called Decomer. It's Dutch for the room. Um, and it was chosen mostly for its punning opportunities. The word camer is, is, gives rise to many, many puns in Dutch, except I'm not going to explain them because trying to explain, trying to explain puns in another language is, is a lost endeavor. But I'm also not terribly creative with naming. Uh, all of them are named camer and then the street address number. So far, I've not had any locations have the same street number. If that happens, I'm in so much trouble, but it hasn't happened. Yeah, you have to figure out a little workaround for that one. How many spaces do you have in your network right, right now? Have, right now we have six in the network, and we have three uh, what are called partner locations. They are all serviced offices that are interested in having co-working but not really prepared to commit to it. We refer to them as powered by the camera, and primary, the core idea is to have a shop-in-shop shop kind of concept so that within a virtual office, you have an actual co-working community. The basis of my experiment is my hypothesis that where co-working happens is not that important. That's so. really interesting. What's come out of this experiment? Has it been proven? Um, are you still working on figuring out how to create uh, co-working without that physical interaction as much? It's really hard. I'm finding it really hard. I thought this was going to be easy. Um, it is harder than figuring out uh, how to do retail in co-working. Retail turned out to be surprisingly easy. I thought it was going to be hard, so <laughs> I should probably quit thinking. Um, <laughs> because my thinking never works out, but, um, uh, the one that I thought would be very complicated, which was rep retail and import export uh, turned out to be surprisingly simple. And, uh, this one, it seems to me a natural combination, really, uh, serviced officing, virtual officing that you could do co-working inside of it because, you know, the people who are going there, they already need an office. So you're halfway there. Um, but. Uh, it turns out not to be that easy at all. So it takes up much more time than uh, spaces that start intentionally as co-working communities. There's a whole world of, it's not really, you know, if you want to say it's about the values and what have you, it isn't exactly because if you talk to the people about the values, they all agree. Oh, yes, yes, we want community. Oh, yes, yes, we want openness. Oh, yes, yes, we want accessibility. That's, everybody says that. What are they going to say? No. Then you have to get into a real, real core conversation about what the heck does that look like? It varies greatly over the partners, and I have to say that they've remained my partners for more than a year, means that they are also working on it with me. When I first talked to the people who are running executive offices and uh, virtual offices, you know, the thing is these people are paying not to come, right? That's the whole point of a virtual office. Not going there is the point. There is a barrier uh, there. It's a, it's an unspoken one, so you have to make it make it speakable. We would like for them to come, for example, and pick up their mail in person because then they're in the space interacting with you. You can talk about your business. You can bring them in connection with other people. All of that stuff. That's just the, the, their their default position. The ones that I have. I certainly don't mean everybody in the industry. You know, the easiest is obviously if we mail yeah. them their post yeah. in an envelope because then <laughs> drop it in an envelope, it goes away. That's it. And they still pay us, right? So um, that's really, that's a barrier that has to be gotten over. So now you're taking a product that the whole point is to not really have face-to-face -face interactions with people and you're trying to develop that? 
you know, a lot of businesses, one of the core things that I think we all have to look at now is in the new way of work, right? And when we're talking about the future of work, um, a part of the entire point of a fair percentage of businesses right, right now, uh, not just freelancers, small businesses, is not to have an office. You know, it it because uh, I'm old, right? And so I remember that the first thing you do is you start a business, and you get a uh, you get a letterhead, and you get a business card, and then you get an office, be it a virtual office or an actual office, be you sharing with somebody else, whatever. That's the first thing you did. You want to get it out of your house, um, because it's more professional. That was just the process. That was how you started a business. My mother started a business. My grandmother started a business. Everybody started a business, just like that. And now, um, even very large companies are literally moving away from the office, the idea of having an office. Some of them are moving back, especially the very large ones. But uh, the, we are, as a society, re-examining what's the point of an office? The future of work is changing to be more decentralized work, but then having that core base where people can go and connect. So it'll be interesting to see where... Um, your your experiment here goes. We are still in pilot phase. There is by no means have we hammered out uh, a real. I wish I had some kind of you know secret sauce that I could say. Here's how you combine co-working and um, executive suites. There's a point at which you can't fly by the seat of your pants anymore, um, and you have to sort of <laughs> become a proper business and uh, have proper policies and all of those things, and uh, take on employees and and. I'm currently examining uh, about taking on employees or working with freelancers because I'm committed to freelancers. I mean, you know, we're we're on the European uh, Freelancers Assembly side. We are uh, working with European Freelancers Week. Not by no means all, but many of my coworkers are freelancers, and I like freelancers. I like working with freelancers. I think that that you know, freelancers is sort of where it's all going. We have to guard against exploitation of freelancers. But, you know, that's a, that's a separate question. We always have to guard against exploitation. But uh, there comes a point in a business where uh, you have to make a decision. I'm going to continue working exclusively with freelancers. I'm going to have employees. I'm going to have a combination of those. Um, and, you know, we are sort of at that place now with the business. And um, I find it really – you're thinking about my own mother. She decided not to – my mother was in construction, a completely unrelated business to mine. But she reached the place where the business was operating internationally, and it was time to sort of um, go from having, you know, eight, ten employees to having, say, twenty or thirty. Like, then you have to be a proper business with proper policies, a whole management level. All those things have to happen. And she decided not to. She worked with it for about eight or nine months and decided not to do it, and made an intentional choice. She had a particular goal in starting wow. her business, and that goal did not include any of this. And so she pulled the business back to uh, a medium-sized enterprise and continued to run it until she retired, whereupon she sold it. And, uh, well, you know, everybody makes a choice. And, um, and, and I'm at that point, and I begin to have sympathy for her choice. And I haven't really decided, truthfully, a real, you know, when you get to the place where the business is, um, uh, there's a tipping point wherein you have to decide, am I creating something that I want huh. to continue to live after I die? 
it's the point at which you can't fly by the seat of your pants anymore. Well, Janine, I know you don't know the answer yet as to what you want to do with your collection of co-working spaces, but it will be really interesting for me to watch and see where you take it. So let's shift gears. You accidentally fell into this co-working business, but now you are the leader in the whole co-working industry. You're uh, involved in coworking.org and you're the director of the European Coworking Assembly. So tell me a little bit about how this came to be. No, no, back in the day, um, every single person, and this is, this is back in the day, every single person in coworking, I swear, knew every single person in coworking or there were at most one degree of separation. Uh, be, the only place everybody, we found each other online in a Google group and uh, we were solving those problems and putting up threads about those problems that we were encountering. And there were less than 100 people in the whole world doing that. Okay, not too terribly long ago. No, none of it. This is the thing about co-working. People keep talking about, you know, the old guard of co-working, and I'm, like, dying. I'm, like, falling off my chair laughing. Like, yeah, the old guard of co-working. We've been co-working for, in total, what, 25 years? I mean, come on, guys, let's get some perspective. But in any event, that group um, gave rise to uh, coworking.com and coworking.org. Coworking was already starting to scale at that point, and... Um, there were a lot of resources that had been created by the community on the co-working wiki. A lot of contracts, a lot of terms of use, a lot of um, marketing stuff, tons of stuff, all kind of stuff uh, was being created by people in the co-working community. That is people setting up co-working spaces and sharing them with each other. And so at that point, it was decided that to set up a business entity whose primary function would be to hold uh, the community assets for the use of the community. Um, that became Open Coworking and uh, is the owner of coworking.com and coworking.org. I admitted everyone to the wiki. That was my job. That was in 2012 I got started. Every single person who asked for admission to the wiki got an email from me. And uh, a number of them I got into conversations with and they were mostly people just starting co-working spaces. And uh, I enjoyed that very greatly. I really like that job. It's funny because across the world, in many places, we're still explaining what is co-working. In many places, it's completely mainstream. And in some places, they're in a post-co-working world where they've basically stopped using the word because it has specific associations that they don't want to have with their business. And so, you know, the co-working community is extremely wide and varied. And that's the thing. I do think that as large corporate players are coming in, which we've been seeing for the last three or four years, I guess, um, aside from Regus, who's always been there, one of the things that I think is happening is that uh, co-working will divide. This is what happens in a, in a co-working community when it becomes large. What happens is you get micro-communities. When you have a small co-working space, you have one community. When it starts to be medium size or large, you start having micro-communities. So that there are the artists are over here and the you know, web designers overlap with the artists. This concept of micro-communities really excites me, Janine, because that's what the Multipass Network is all about preserving. 
we believe in being better together, but we don't want to lose the individual flavor of each of these spaces across our network. So at this point, you have coworking.org. Tell me about your involvement with the European Coworking Assembly. Yeah, the, co- the European Coworking Assembly um, there was a uh, was separately founded, um, and by a group of uh, coworking space owners uh, here in Europe. It was founded actually primarily for the purpose of lobbying for um, EU regulations, and it, it had a, a largely political purpose actually. I mean, there were some others, but the idea was that they would be an advocacy organization for co-working. Um, eventually, for various reasons, the organization needed to pivot. And what they asked me initially was if Open Co-working was interested in taking it over. After talking to uh, a number of the stakeholders, uh, I decided, we decided, it's important to have a European face for co-working. And that was pretty clear out of all of the conversations that we all had together is that there was a very strong feeling that we need a a European face for co-working as opposed to the global one. So that's what the European Co-working Assembly is doing now. Right at this moment, we're sort of doing a number of uh, concrete projects. We're trying to get the word out because it's a pivot. And so we're trying to get the word out all over Europe that the European Co-working Assembly is pivoting, come over here and you know, work with us. I think ideally I would like to see it become uh, a co-op. There's a lot of conversations that have to take place before you can really form a co-op. There's one thing in this life I am not interested in. It is coming up with a a solution and then go find a problem. There are problems enough. And so at this moment, we're focusing on uh, partnering with organizations outside of co-working, but that are allied with co-working. What is the current mission statement of the European Co-working Assembly? I'm still writing it. <laughs> I mean, I'm certain there's one left over from the previous uh, from the previous administration, as it were. But uh, at this moment, we are we are presently in listening mode. I need to find out. Tentative conclusion at this moment is that uh, the co-working spaces and the co-working organizations. Almost every country has its own co-working organization. And so to that extent, really, um, the purpose of a European-wide co-working organization would, in essence, be to get those people in touch with each other. You guys need to know that you guys and those guys are doing the same thing, so how about you get together? I love that. That's one of the purposes that Multipass exists because within a space, co-working operators are always talking about collaboration amongst the entrepreneurs, but we found that between spaces, there's really not a whole lot of collaboration going on, and it takes that third-party entity to inspire spaces to start working together. That is really one of the more important things that needs to happen in Europe, because between the language and the geography, there's, you know, there's, a, there's a real danger of, of splintering. Janine, what are some differences you have noticed between America and Europe? Uh, As an American living in Europe, one of the problems that uh, Europeans deal with every day that Americans do not deal with is um, that in, in in a place less than 15 minutes drive from where you're sitting, 
it's entirely possible that you can't get anything done if you don't speak that language. And so it is literally the case, for instance, that the Dutch uh, order off eBay. They order off eBay faster than they order off Dutch language websites. It's easier, and you can get more stuff. Huh. As Americans, you have to really come to grips with when you come to Europe. Well, Janine, this has been a really fascinating, insightful interview about your experience in co-working. I am so excited to watch and see where you take all of these different projects that you're working on. I'm curious to see where I go to. <laughs> That's hilarious. Never a dull moment, right? Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I like to close with the question, what is one innovative product, service, or idea you've come across that you are excited about? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, it's so boring. Oh, no, I'm going to be in so much trouble when I answer this question. Um, uh, the most, <laughs> I recently encountered a product online that automates business processes. I found out about it because, uh, truthfully, someone who was trying to sell me something used it as part of their process. And uh, I was so distracted by the product itself <laughs> that, that I had to hold on a second. Let me find it. There it is. Process.st. Process Street is what they're calling it. It automates business processes and workflow management, which is like the most boring, exciting thing in the universe. But the way that they do it is just remarkable. I mean, it's just remarkable. It's like not, it doesn't require you to like know more than 17 programming languages. It actually appears to be uh, business process automation for people who are not programmers, which is a shock. That's a really boring innovation, but, but it was cool. I mean, it was really cool. <laughs> hey, you know what? I get really excited about any tool that helps me automate my life. Janine, your website's in Dutch. So for our listeners, what is the best way that they can follow you? If you want to keep track of the projects that I am doing, the most updated location to do that is about me. I am under about.me at uh, slash JVD Linden. There you go. Janine van der Linden, founder of a network of co-working spaces, one of the founders of coworking.org and the head of the European Coworking Assembly. If you're listening and know of an amazing co-working space that we should check out, shoot us an email at multipassapp.com.